Wait, are you going to say it? Say the line, Bart. I could build that in a weekend. <laughs> and welcome back to the Refactor Podcast, the show where we try and help ourselves and you suck just a little bit less each and every day. Recorded live from the basement of the Ivory Tower, my name is Frank Cole. And from the brink of sanity, my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 98, recorded on February 28th, 2023. Also from back from the brink of almost death. I don't yeah, know what happened you, to so, you. Uh, I guess I, under the heading, I got to put it under the title, self-care is important. And that's kind of my PSA for the week. Mm. Like, don't ignore self-care. You can do it when you're 25 and then you can't do it forever. Um when I was so like six, seven years ago, uh, I had a I had a rough year, like nothing like catastrophic, but it was I had a tough, say, eighteen months, a um, lot of stress at work, at home. Mm-hmm. I, you know, anybody that knows me, like I'm not, I don't see myself as a particularly stressed out individual, um, to say the least. But but it does creep up on you, and it and it did back then. Um, and I wound up, and my wife. Uh, she's a healthcare provider. She attributes it all to stress, but I got, I wound up with um, migraines getting worse and peptic ulcers and shingles and just a ridiculous constellation of, of health issues that hit me all at once. And she is absolutely, she's very infrequent. I'll never tell this to her face, but she's almost never wrong about this stuff. Um, She was convinced that it was, it was stress. Um, And, and she still teases me about this to this day, by the way, because like peptic ulcers and shingles, like, you know, anybody can get those at any age, technically. Um, mm-hmm. They are traditionally more like geriatric type. Yeah, they're, like, you're they're, not, they're, you're they're not old seeing, folks' problems. They're old people exactly, problems. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so she has not ceased teasing me about having old people problems, uh, you know, younger in life. Um, and over the past, you know, everybody's been sick for six months around this place uh, at this point in in my house um, for a whole bunch of reasons. And uh, so over the last couple of weeks, I have had strep throat and ear infection and it's all manner of things that are generally pediatric. <laughs> like you can get strep throat at any age, but adults typically do not. Uh, ear infections too. So now... basically now the teasing has doubled. Like I've just, I'm being teased for not having age appropriate ailments is, is really the long and short of it. And Mm -hmm. once again, she's chalking this up. She thinks it's stress related and there's probably some truth. Again, I'm not going to tell her that, that she's right. Um, It's a good thing she doesn't listen to the show. Obviously any of our audience. Yes. Any of our audience that is married, you know, you never, you never admit that your spouse was right about something. That's, that's rule number. That's rule zero uh, for adulting. But, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I kind of fell off the face. It was it was all I could do to just get through basic like living and kind of working, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I self care, man. Like it, it really. I don't know if you have any stories like that, but I I can now draw direct like at, at periods of periods of life over the last say ten or fifteen years where I've just like gotten unusually sick or, and or unusually often in a spell, mm-hmm. I can almost draw a straight line to say, oh yeah, this thing was going on then. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even though again, I like, I don't see myself as a particularly, you know, I'm not like a stress ball, um, but it does, I, I'm not immune maybe like I once thought I was. Right. So you, so you were, you were dealing with something stressful at work and you're, Convinced that it's what got you sick most recently and that this has happened in the past to, to really boil this down. Yeah. Yeah. Just that the, just that the stress, you know, it's not just, you know, it's work, it's home. It's, it's kind of a constellation of things, but it, you know, the, the cortisol levels and all of this kind of stuff, like it just weakens your immune system. It doesn't make you sick. Like it's like stress is not the virus, but um, you know, it does weaken your immune system and, and then you start making bad choices, right? Maybe you don't sleep as well. Maybe you're not eating as well. And it's just the compounding effect kind of weakens your body's defenses. And then you wind up with things that are 30 years in the wrong direction for what you should be getting. <laughs> do you do you do any kind of do you do any kind of physical activity any working out running even lightweight stuff? 
woodworking and lovemaking uh, is the Ron Swanson line. Um, uh, <laughs> it's not that kind of show, Chris. It's not that kind of show. <laughs> I should, I'm, I'm never going to pass on, a, on an opportunity to use a Ron Swanson quote is the long and short of it. Um, mm -hmm. No, I'm not, I'm not a gym rat. I don't, I don't even do as much like normal general moving as I should. So that's, yeah. that's certainly, you know, that's a piece of it. For I, sure. uh, I have not had that problem. The problem you're describing, I have not had, uh, I don't know if I could ever point to a specific instance where I was stressed, which, which opened me up to illness. It's probably happened. I will say that I have on the whole, knock on wood, had very good luck with my overall health and fitness. After I started going to the gym regularly, I go through now. I, I am, I don't know if you would classify me as a gym rat, but I go three times a week to a class. It's 45 minutes long. It's a, it's a hit program, high intensity interval training, H I I T. Mm -hmm. And I started it as a way to do additional core strength. Cause at the time I was doing a lot of trail running and I needed to improve my core strength because I was dealing with lower back issues. My core wasn't activating properly. And so I was my lower back was activating. And basically what it meant was when I was going uphill, my back would start to hurt like a lot. It was really, really painful. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to the gym to work on my core. And then I realized I really enjoy these classes. This is kind of fun. I show up, I do my thing. I, I check out and it's a new, new class every day. And the program shifts every week. And I'm not really getting, I'm not plateauing or anything like that. It's pretty cool. And so I actually shifted and did, you know, put most of my effort into that. And so I, I, I've been pretty religious with myself about going and I've been in overall healthy ever since. Not that I don't get sick, but even when I'm stressful, it's not, it, it doesn't, it's not debilitating for me. I sleep better and I find that I actually need less sleep. Um, so, you know, it's some kind of physical activity I think is, might be in order. I, I would encourage you and, and the audience, if you're not doing something, you should be doing something. Whatever it is, make it something that you generally enjoy doing. You know, at the end, you should be sweating. You should have a, you know, your, your heart rate should be elevated. Whatever it is, just make sure it's something that you enjoy, though, because that is what will keep you coming back for more. Keep you doing it. Yep. Uh, I have I have friends who've who have gotten way into frisbee golf, for example, which is actually quite hipsters. <laughs> it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I played ultimate frisbee on a team on, a, on a, a club team when I was in college. That was a lot of fun. I tried it coming out of college. It's really enjoyable. I'll go with them. It's not something I do regularly, but it's a, it's a good time and a good workout mm -hmm. between the throwing, the walking, and it's. That and it gets you outside. That's that's nice, and it's right. low key enough that you can bring a friend and have a conversation. So you know, just something. It, it, you know, your body was made for movement. It was not made for stagnation. And you know, our our industry is so freaking stagnant. Oh yeah, just generally, hundred percent. It's it's so getting some movement into the mix, I think can be, can be really, really helpful. And it's, it's been really good yeah. for me. I, I've been really happy with, uh, with the outcome. I'm, I'm not, I'm not shredded, but I'm also not fat. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, okay. Yeah. And I've be been, likewise, I've, I've been, you know, historically like reasonably healthy. Um, I have, I have, uh, moved from time to time, uh, every couple of years, I might, I might go <laughs> every walk couple to the years, mailbox or something. Desk. You get up from the desk yeah. every couple of years, walk around the house. Every couple of years, check yeah, in I'll on walk the to the mailbox, you know, um, <laughs> reload the mini fridge with Twinkies and, and mm -hmm. Coke, um, mm -hmm. and also soda. Of course. Um, so, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'll move. I, 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 you know, I joke about the woodworking, but I do, um, I mean, as you know, I, I do like hand tool woodworking. You do a fair um, so bit of the, that. And that uh, can be, I imagine, pretty tough. That can be. Yeah. I mean, you're not, demanding. you're not like sweating bullets by the end of it, but the, the, um, you know, mostly the sawing and the planing, mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's a thing. It's, it's something, right. Yeah. Um, if it's, if it's, you know, it's getting nicer out, uh, you know, I'll go and I'll take a meeting. I'll just walk around the, walk around the neighborhood, uh, on a call, that nice. kind of a thing. Um, I've done that in the past where I've encouraged my team like, Hey, Oh, Hey, you know, next, next Monday's staff meeting uh, is going to be a walking meeting. So if you're 
somewhere that you can and want to and have reliable 5G, you know, take it on your phone. Let's go for a walk together kind of a kind of a situation. Um, so I may I may start bringing that back. Um, mostly to you know i don't i don't care about my the people that work for me uh, you know i don't not. care about i don't care about the humans at all um the other ones it's just me uh as an accountability device to make sure that i'm going out and doing it um mm-hmm. yeah um it's important so yeah I, it is it no it is and that's and that's kind of why i bring it up because we talk about you know the the leadership stuff we talk about the technology stuff and that's all great but like you know we're stupid squishy humans and we need maintenance too um so you know, go refactor your body you know at the gym or something i don't know <laughs> my bigger problem That's has my, uh my bigger problem uh at work uh things that uh it's is mental stress and uh you know the biggest trigger for me and, I, and i'm sure having having met more than my fair share of engineers i know i'm not alone in this one, one of the biggest pet peeves i think we have is seeing a problem and not being able to fix it Mm-hmm. And, you know, just knowing that there's a yeah. thing, there's a problem there. And I know I could do something with it. If, if only I could just get permission, time, yeah. you know, responsibility over the thing, whatever it is, and then not being able to deal with that. And, and mm-hmm. the stress associated with that can drive you, drive me up the freaking wall sometimes. And so uh, a lot of my uh, self-care for me is just reminding myself just stay over here and, you know, do, do your thing and really more just accepting that things will not and cannot be perfect. And, you know, that's the, I think that's the, uh, you know, the the larger, that's where my head goes, you know, from, from self-care, you know, moving, moving into, you know, moving into work more directly, you know, the notion that, we want things to be not just good, not just great, but perfect. And perfection is absolutely the enemy of, I think, everything that we do because we ha- we have an ability as engineers. You know, you're you're building things, you're creating things, and so you can sort of just like an artist, you can see the end result before you actually get there, and then it's just a matter of mm-hmm. walking the path and to to reach that that finished state. Yeah. And so you have this capability and it's, it's part of what makes us good at what we do. We have this ability to see the, what could be. And then we try and not, walk that not path. being able to and get not there being able is to get there just can be, the worst can be the worst, but the, but, but we have to accept that the, the, your, your, your story actually dovetailed really nicely. Cause that's actually what I wanted to talk about today was this notion of perfection because we can see that perfection, but we're never going to get there ever. You're, you're just, you're just not going to do it. It's never going to be good enough. It's never going to be perfect. And the imperfections of the real world will always have their, their say. And that has to be okay. That has to be good enough. Uh, this comes in a lot of different forms. Um, I have seen people that are, they, they get attached to a project and they stay way deep into a project for way longer than they should have because the, the satisfactory point was, you know, three sprints ago and there's other work piling up that needs to get done. Um, I've seen it go the other direction where it's a, it's almost like chasing shiny objects where, you know, I see this imperfection over here. I just happened because of conversation, because I happened to be looking at this one file and this one bit of code while I was working on this other related thing. I saw this imperfection and, oh, I got to go fix that. This this will only take me a minute. This this is only a couple hours. I can can knock this out really quick. It's a minor detour. Yeah, yeah, minor detour, but huge payoff. I'm going to go take care of this thing. Uh, and, And you end up, you end up running around like a, you know, like a squirrel going after all these various shiny objects all the time. And neither, neither of those is, is good. Um, and I've seen it in business, in the business side too, when you're dealing with messaging and, and things like that, you know, just can, working it and reworking it and reworking it and reworking it. And like, you just go, you know, you go and then you, if you have to make changes later, you can, that's okay. You can, you can adjust later. 
but at least one, you're moving forward and two, any changes you would make down the road is going to be based on feedback anyway, as opposed to this perfectionist loop where most of the feedback is actually from yourself or a very, very small cadre. And it ends up being very insular and nebulous and kind of echo chambery. And you, you end up making decisions that are almost hypothetical in nature. The, the, the reasoning, the back, the backing support for them is almost hypothetical in nature. Well, if this and if this and if this, then this esoteric thing becomes uh, applicable. And so I, um, yeah, so I just wanted to call that out. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know about you. I'm not much of a perfectionist in code. I try good enough is sort of the name of the game for me, but I know that this is a problem for others. And I wanted to know if you had this problem or if you've seen this similar things. Sorry, I was muted. That's where that's where you get the the advice that premature optimization is the root of evil, mm -hmm. right? And why yeah. do we want to prematurely optimize things? Because I want this section perfect before I move on. And I don't know whether it's a laziness thing, like I don't want to have to come back to this again. I don't know whether mm. it's an ADD, like I am focusing on this, nothing else exists, and so I'm just going to stay focused on this until there's nothing left intellectually interesting about it. Uh, like that, the puzzle is not fully solved yet, and that's going to make my brain itch if I, you know, if I don't, um, you know. I think there's a lot of reasons that that, that comes in, but you're absolutely right. Um, perfect is all. Perfect is very, 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 I'm not going to say always, because that's kind of a loaded word, but perfect is very often the enemy of good. Um, yeah, one of, <laughs> uh, the, the, I just, I, I, I am constantly reminded of the Pareto principle, right? 80% um, of the return is going to come from 20% of your investment. Um, and so it's really hard. It's really hard to consistently apply that at the right level of abstraction. Um, and in ways that don't wind up, because what you also don't want to do is like knowingly leave something bad, you know, and that that's where you get in, I think, to some of the, some of the navel gazing, like there's a trap there where, all right, I, you know, I know this is the thing I have to build today. I'm going to build, you know, widget X. And I know that there is a strategic plan to integrate widget X with widget Y, right? Now, if I was just building widget X in a vacuum, if I was just building my user account system in a vacuum, there's a certain way that I would kind of construct it generally. If I know that I'm going to have to integrate that with the client's SSO provider or with my analytics service or any other part of my, and I'm getting like, like webby here, but mm -hmm. like if I know that I'm going to have to integrate that with a specific thing in the mid, in the mid future, then it does kind of change how I build the thing, right? Now, the way you would build a, a user and authentication system in the first place should be, yes, it should be cohesive and modular and decoupled and, and all of that kind of crap, right? But it is going to change how you put the thing together a little bit if you know you're immediately going to have to go into another project where it's going to integrate in a specific way with a specific other thing, right? You're just, you're going to leave like... Uh, so I think of it like a like the interstate project, right? There were places where when they they built out, you know, the United States has this, inter this interstate network was actually built out like in the fifties. Um, that was actually kind of like a national defense. Thing. I don't know if people know this. Um, interstate system was actually built as a part of like a national defense thing. There's a very specific reason why the interstate system was built the way it was um, and the size it was. Like it was literally so that we could get transcontinental logistics. Um, in the event of some sort of uh, conflict on our soil, uh, and also so that it could be used as temporary landing and takeoff for aircraft. Like there are specific reasons why it's built the way it is. Anyway, I think of it like that. There were cases where they said, okay, well, we're going to run the interstate through here and we don't need an exit here yet, but we're going to leave ourselves room to build an exit in this location, a ramp, a clover, whatever you want to call it, right? An interchange. We're going to yeah. leave... We're going we're gonna to build this in such a way that when we come back, and you know, you're thinking about 10 or 20-year timescales with this stuff, but when we come back to this and build this interchange, there are things that we can do here to make that job easier for us. Same thing applies with software, right? <clears throat> or if I'm going to build a house and I know eventually I'm going to, I only have so much money to build, uh, to build the house, but I know that 
if I've got the opportunity in 10 years, I'm going to put an addition on this part of the house for this specific purpose, right? If, if I, Bitcoin goes to a million dollars, I'm going to put up a dedicated wood shop and home gym on this side of the, the building. And so I, I'm going to leave myself uh, runs with, with rough mechanicals. I'm going to, you know, it's, it's like you set yourself up for success. And I think it is difficult. And especially I know, I know a lot of my teams, I don't know about your teams now, but, but it's enterprise work. So there has to be like a top down structure and plan to some degree. Mm -hmm. There, there is some waterfall there. Um, but the rest of it's like very Kanban. Like we have one team and we're dealing with bugs and new features and changes and all of it. And so as the team is involved in the broader conversation about where the product is going over the next year, we're also building out the minutiae. And so like, there's like a curse of knowledge, I guess, is what I'm getting to where, oh, well, I know we could do this thing in the future. So I'm going to change the way that I build this part now because, and if you don't check that, <laughs> you don't just right. get it done and get it out, it's going to hurt you. There's right? a, yeah, there's a, there is a, there is a cutoff where this make it easier for future self really becomes, starts to be the path to madness. Right. It becomes the path to madness or becomes you're actually just building the thing itself. Now, I like your, right. I like your interstate highway analogy because with a physical thing, this is pretty easy. You're just not going to build that off ramp. If I start yeah. to actually lay groundwork of of the ramp or I'm, you know, pouring, pouring concrete or cement for the off ramp. Okay. I've, I've, I've gone too far because I, I, I yeah. said I wasn't going to build it. And that's obviously what I'm doing right now. And so it's very right. easy to see visually with a physical uh, widget, what that cutoff is with mm -hmm. software, because today it's a toaster and tomorrow it's a car, you know, the nebulous ephemeral nature of software, it makes it very hard to actually see that cutoff. And so your self-awareness becomes so critical, even in a team setting where you've got reviews and you've got sort of checks and balances. I don't know about you, but I have found, I even to this day, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about how to write software and how to work with software teams. But to this day, there is still a huge element of trust in each one of the individual team members that they are doing what I need them to do and getting done what I need to, them to get done because there's just, there's so much in the mix of, you know, the unpredictable and unplanned of getting stuff done. You know, we do these estimates and we have, you know, a general sense of, you know, okay, we think it's going to take this long, but you know, there's always the unknowns and things like that. Your, your individual, um, responsibility and, and self-discipline is, I, I think, still a huge part, even in a well-greased machine of a, of, a of a development team, even in a well-defined, uh, even rigid infrastructure, I still think there is a huge element of personal responsibility and uh, interde interdependent trust that you're, you're not tumbling down rabbit holes. Because it can be very easy to do so and not be totally overtly visible to everyone else that you are, in fact, you know, spinning your wheels on something that is not necessary. Which is part of why, I mean, we just keep, we just keep going back to hiring, right? Like time and time again. <laughs> yup. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I, I can't, I, I, I like, this is just me saying out loud. I, I literally, I don't know how to manage somebody that I can't trust. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, this is this is why I look for this is why I look for attitude and character during interviews. Before I care about what you know about uh, big O notation and, you know, DLS certificates and all that kind of crap, like I I need to know that I can have a connection with you and that I can trust what you're saying. Um or at least that I believe with a level of confidence that you can get in meeting somebody only for a couple of hours. Um because what we really need, how we really need this dynamic to work is that in good faith, I'm going to ask you to do the things that have the best level of impact for everybody over the long term. And then you need to have it like, I need to have a certain level of faith that you are, again, in good faith going to execute those 
to the best of your ability and and raise any concerns, right? And that trust, it's it's bi-directional. We are partners in this. It's not, I don't know, it's it's very easy, I think, especially especially in especially in like a like a larger company. It is it is so easy to think of the team as the org chart. Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, which which you always see pyramid shape. You always see top down. You always see chain of command. You always see titles. Like it it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that we're all just humans trying to make things work. And everybody's job is important, and it's going to take all of us working together to get everything done. Um, and I think when it's when you don't have the second half of that, when it's just the org chart and the chain of command, and you know, and I tell you what to do, and when it's impersonal, it's when it's impersonal, yeah, it becomes yeah. well, it's it's not just impersonal. It's like it's it's. I mean, to the extent that a lack of respect for intelligent autonomy is impersonal, I guess I guess you're right. Um, but it's 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 that it's that partnership, and that's a partnership is based on trust. And yeah, I <laughs> I, I had somebody years ago. Um, this is many positions ago. I had somebody, oh, you know, from a like a brick and mortar place, uh, approach me working in a fully remote environment. Oh, how do you how do you manage people remote? Like how do you how do you make sure people are engaged? How do you how do you know they're doing their job? How do you know they're showing up? How do you I, I legitimately, I was dumbfounded. I didn't even know how to answer the question. I'm like, this the same way that you manage people when you can see them in the same room? Well, like, the, I don't know. The same way you, you should what are you measuring? <laughs> no, well, that is that is the point, right? That is the point. It's the same way that you should be managing a team when you can see them in the same room, right? Mm. What is their output? What is the, like, I, the, the question seems so foreign to me because and I've, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, I think it's easier to manage remote because there's none of that lizard brain nonsense that gets in the way you where can't. I see a button, a chair, and so I assume you're being productive. No, I need to see the output. Yep. Um, and it's very obvious when somebody's not producing. Um, so I think from a performance standpoint, it can be a lot easier remote. Mm-hmm. Not to, It's not a panacea, but um, in that narrow sense. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's, that trust has to be there is, is your point, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's absolutely a requirement. And I, um, it, the impersonal bit that I was getting at there, I think you went a different direction with it, which is fine. But I was thinking about the impersonalness of, you know, me within the company, you know, the, 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 mm. the broader org. And, and so it's very easy to not care about the org, but if you right. actually connect with your boss, your coworkers as people, as peers, as human beings, it loses that impersonalness and that's where the trust comes from, or at least you're, you are, uh, you are facilitating trust because, you know, with the humanness, those, those two things are sort of, uh, they're, they're, they're mutually tied here. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's easier if I, if you just, you know, ah, it's just, it's just company, you know, I, I don't really care, you know? So what does it matter if I don't, if I don't do my work, I'm not really hurting anybody. You know, it's only, Uh, it's only this nebulous org that gets hurt. And that's, and that's not true because. And here's a, here's a red flag. If you, if you, if you hear yourself saying they as the villain a lot, well, they don't, they don't want you. They only care. They know who's they, right? (laughs) Like that's, I don't know. I, where I'm at, like, I've, I feel like the older I get, the more I realize that what you look for in the world, you find. Um, Oh, so true. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like if you're if you're looking for teamwork and collaboration and you're looking for productivity and you're looking for a better tomorrow and you're looking for ways to take what shouldn't work and make it work, like you're going to be able to get that done. You know, that, that extreme mixed circumstances obviously aside, this is a generality. If you are looking for injustice and offense and perturbation and all of the like you're gonna find the reasons to be pissed off all the time mm-hmm. and that's not and you can take you can take two different two two people who on paper look the same who come from similar backgrounds just looking for different things and it's an attitude thing it's a perspective thing put them in the same organization and they can have two wildly different experiences mm-hmm. uh because of what they're looking for um and it's like you i you told a story 
couple of months ago about meeting some finance guy who, you know, uh, you were upset about the about the situation, and he said, "Well, something's got to change, mm. right?" No, something has to change. The environment changes or you change. The environment's not going to change. So what can you do? Change your attitude or change your scenery, right? Like, <laughs> in other words, get on board or get out. Um, and that, that kind of loops back around to the self-care thing, which is if, you, if you're just constantly pissed off by every little decision because it's offensive and unjust and all of this sort of stuff, maybe it's time to move on. You know, uh, for, for your, not, not, and not because this is wrong, not because I'm saying it's, it's morally or ethically reprehensible that, that you find fault with the way things are done. I think, uh, I think everybody should be critical of management, right? Um, because it is the, in, in some regards, it is an asymmetric relationship. And so, uh, you know, ask the questions, why are we doing this? What is the purpose of this? How can we do this better? Is there a, is there a different way we can achieve the same result? You know, those sorts of questions are, are very fair. Um, mm -hmm. but as a matter of just personal hygiene, if, if uh, you're just incompatible with the personalities around you, maybe that's adding stress to your life that you don't really need. You no, know? it's absolutely true. And by the way, it was Vernon Hill, the founder of commerce bank that, uh, that gave yeah. me that advice and, um, really interesting dude. The, um, I think that management actually has a responsibility to be extra introspective and self-critical because yeah. of the, because the relationship is, is imbalanced. The way that you make sure that you keep it more balanced is to active, not just, not just allow, but actively encourage direct critical feedback and, and yeah. open yourself up. So one of the things, here's, a, and here's an easy way for anyone to do it, regardless of where your height is in the organization. So when a, in the military, when a commander- In the Navy. <laughs> sorry. When a commander presents a, a plan for a mission, they, they go through the whole thing, they lay it all out for the team, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. This is how it's going to go down. Here's who's doing what, all that kind of stuff. They, they do that entire mission rundown. When that's done, the first thing they do, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this is the army. This could be other, other branches. Um, hopefully the, um, the military folks don't get too mad at me. The first thing they do is they ask for spears. They'll just stop and they'll say spears. And if you're watching, if you watch any, um, you know, military dramas or, or things like that. Um, if if you see a if you see a, a an actual uh, planning session, that's the first thing they say when they're done. Uh, that's how you know they're they're at least being semi legit with their with their source material, and they're saying, uh, poke poke holes in this, like like throw spears at this plan. Show right. me what I missed. What didn't yeah. I take account of? What what things uh, are wrong with this? That's that's how it opens. Like yeah. when you're how done is this going to go? Explain to me how this is going to go sideways. How this is going to go wrong? Tell me how I screwed up in my planning. That's the first thing that they ask for is call out my imperfections. And so you can do mm -hmm. this. And I've actually started using the term spears in in my own meetings and my oh, own yeah. stuff. So I'll present a thing and then I'll finish and I'll say, okay. Give me spears, poke holes in this. Tell me what's going on. And it's, it's an easy way to make, to open the floor to any and all feedback. But, but you have to, uh, the key here is you actually have to go out of your way to actively encourage the bad news. If yeah. you just simply say, and we, we've all been here. Everybody knows this situation. Mm -hmm. Boss presents a thing and then he asks for feedback. And you're in the back of your mind thinking, oh my gosh, I've got like a zillion things I could say about this plan that mm -hmm. suck. But he asked for feedback and I've got things, but I don't want to be the first one. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to you know, tick off the boss. I, I like this job. There's all this stuff yeah. floating in your head, whether it's legitimate or not, it's all floating in your head. And so mm -hmm. 
the person in authority has to go, has to actively fight against that natural predisposition of keeping your head down and keeping your mouth shut. And one of the, you know, you can do that by, you've got to actively encourage and pull out the negative constructive Uh criticism. And all leadership at all levels needs to do that. My experience has been that that is true in some places, some of the time. It can, you can always do more of it. You can, every organization and every leader can do more of that and they can do a better job at it. And, and this is all, most do, most do some, but all can do more. There you go. Yeah. 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 That works. Absolutely works. So anyway, back to, uh, gosh, that was, uh, where's our, where's my drink? We got to get started at some mega, point. Mega sidebar going off of going off of perfection. Um, I was curious how you deal with engineers that have the penchant for perfectionist streaks. Whether it's whether it is the I, I'm on this thing and I'm only going to stay on this thing, and you know, getting them to move to something new is like prying prying open a live clamshell, or the the more scatter shot oh i see perfect i see perfection improvement over here and perfection improvement over there and i can you know i was wondering if you had ever dealt with any of them and what you uh, how how you uh, how you addressed it uh it's it's tough because it's so it's so individual and it's so case by case like i would struggle to come up with a a general i would struggle to come up with a general rule mm-hmm. one of the things one of the things that i do we i think we talked about this a few weeks ago um and i use the same thing internally with my own team as i do with with you know quote external stakeholders right that could be just the business unit within your company it doesn't necessarily mean a, a client or a vendor right um uh but you know hey if we were if we were going to phase this out how would we how would we do that Right? How would we deliver value with phase one that wasn't the full take of everything you envision you might want to do? What would phase one look like? What's your MVP? And then what's phase two? What's phase three? Teases out again, kind of the kind of the critical mm. pieces. It teases out the most important stuff. Then we can Pareto that ish, right? Like then we start to say, okay, well, do we really? Okay, laying it out like this, is there really more than fringe benefit in that phase three? Well, yeah, I guess we can do without that. So now you've already reduced your scope and your time. Mm. Um, and then you can say, all right, let's do phase one, phase two approach, but leave some room in the middle for hardening, right? We're going to push out phase one. There's going to be feedback. There's going to be bugs. There's going to be requests on top of that. Um, so we'll leave some breathing room. And then we'll schedule phase two, assuming that we have time to do so, right? Um, and then... You know, whether or not and how often you get to follow through and actually proceed with phase two, that just becomes a, a prioritization thing, right? If there's nothing else left in the hopper that's more important, then great, right? Because I think any any team worth their salt always has more to do than they have time. That like I've never I have not worked for a company that had way more bandwidth than it had uh appetite. Like that has never <laughs> happened. Uh, if you work for that company, then you're about to get laid off. Yeah, uh, sorry, like check layoffs.fyi because you might be one of them. Um, I mean, that's what that, that's what Fang has been doing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's what that's oh, what yeah. that's what that's what the tech pullback is, right? Um, more more capacity than than demand. Um, I am saying so, it's always. Go ahead. Cyber. I am so intellectually curious watching this Twitter thing unravel. I, I know that it's. Uh, didn't they just? Didn't they just do another round? They did another round. They dro- uh, dropped another couple hundred people. Like, yeah. At their biggest size, they were seventy five hundred people. That product, mm-hmm. like, uh, it was. It's so big that that number. That there, there are companies that have, you know, like Palo Alto. I think has 77,000 or 8,000 employees and, and Palo Alto's ecosystem of business is like dwarfs Expansive. what Twitter it dwarfs yeah. what Twitter actually does. And, in, and in Palo Alto, Palo Alto makes money and Palo Alto. Makes money. <laughs> like, can we? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. So it just, it just blows my mind. It, 
how how big and how bloated and useless all that stuff is. And watching this thing, watching what he's doing, this is going to be uh, this is going to be an awesome case study in three to five years. In three to five years, we're going to have an awesome case study about what one way or another. Co- right? One way I, or I another. I was talking to somebody. Company- I was talking to somebody the other day about how there's no there's no middle ground, right? Yet to be seen. History will tell. But the guy, the guy is ob- the guy is clearly some savant genius yeah. on playing five D chess, or he's just gone off the rails, batshit insane. That I I really don't see the room at this point. Like the 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 opportunity for gray in between a balanced ob- like opinion of of him and his decision making is n- vanishing at this point. Yeah, I, you can't even. Put- you can have this conversation without actually, you know, dealing with the um, the social intricacies of of who Elon is and and what he, you know, what you think of him and 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 all that crap. Um, he has so many wins racked up in his professional history that there there's no question the guy is a savant and he really really freaking knows what he's doing. There's there's not a question in my mind. That he really does know what he's doing. Um, yeah. So what I will I will say, in order to keep the conversation moving, I will agree that as opposed to uh, Zuck and Bezos and Gates and these other folks, um, they're one he's trick got ponies. More. He's got more than one feather mm-hmm. in his cap, right? So do I think? Do I? I don't care about Zuckerberg one way or the other. I, I don't give a rip. It, he does his. His life and decisions don't impact mine, so it doesn't matter to me. Um, do I think he's automatically smart because he built a multi-billion-dollar company? No, I, he's smart enough to have done it once, right? But that's that's as much luck as skill, and I'd rather be lucky than good any day of the week. So who's to say which one it was for him? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, yeah. Like the one the one positive you can certainly say for for Musk is that is that he's got more than one win. He's in got his more history, than one win, right? Yeah. But this is even you can have this conversation about Twitter without even bringing Musk into it. You have this you had this company. It was massive. It was it it was definitely bloated. And. Investor came in. I think people would argue that's that's yet to be seen. I I mean, I think the bloatedness is probably almost just assured, I guess. Mm, I, I just so you you make a decision today. It doesn't mean that the consequences of that decision shake out tomorrow right there can be a lag on this stuff and so yeah. to say it's bloated say oh yeah he fired 60 percent of the staff and the thing's still running well yeah but will it still be running tomorrow like we just don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. okay right. how so, to analyze that decision that's my uh, only point all right there. if you want to if you want to classify or qualify what i'm saying here as a prediction as opposed to an observation as opposed to a factual observation all right i'll allow it i'm pretty confident in this one so we'll, we'll see what happens um but it's just it's really interesting to see this thing happen. And the, and the other part of it that I find it really interesting is the timing. The fact that twi- th- this happened post-COVID, i.e. post the time period where literally everybody was working from home and you know everything was, everything was fine. This sort of dovetails with, mm-hmm. with my whole my whole theory here, we, you know, that you can be remote, that you don't need an office for, for most um, mm-hmm. intellectual uh, knowledge worker type of, type of jobs and companies. You, you just don't need it. And I think that there is, there, there, I, I think we, the Twitter fallout is a, is a representation in some way of a broader societal understanding of that reality and yeah it this is how this particular one is playing out but i think that that's i think that that's part of the you know part of the shtick here of, of, of what's happening um but as an engineer well it is it is part of the shtick why are we why are we spending so much time talking about twitter when uh google facebook microsoft i mean everybody else has laid off like numerically more people by yeah. by ups i mean i mean google's cut twenty five thousand jobs in the last half in the last six months, oh, that's huge. 
Twitter's yeah. laid off a couple thousand. I, I mean, and not to not to not uh, to poo-poo any job to, loss, but right. Yeah. No, exactly. Like this is this is this is separating people from their livelihood, which is not to be taken lightly. I don't, I don't know any responsible manager with a soul that does, but like, why do we keep talking about Twitter? Right? It's because because a Musk is Musk, and so you can't not bring him into the discussion because of what he is with respect to the media. And B, because Twitter is the epitome of all of this internet nonsense. It's yeah, where people go yeah. to talk about talking about talking. Yeah. I, it's, I, it's one of the reasons I don't go there. Right. <laughs> like, I, well, it's also know. just the, I, I think for me, it also boils down to how utterly efficient a small crack team of developers can be. Because I, I, I am really curious to see where they land. Like, I'm really curious to see when this thing sort of stabilizes and we have enough, we have enough lag time to actually mm-hmm. recognize stability. I'd like, I understand that this is forthcoming. Yeah. This is that we're not there yet, but I am really certain, 99% certain that the company is going to stable up. I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't think it's going to go out of business. I really don't. Assuming I'm right. I'm very confident that the company is going to stabilize at a size that is significantly smaller than what it was previously because the amount of engineering horsepower you need to build a technological product is you know pound for pound it's 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 pretty it's pretty efficient it's actually really hyper efficient this is the trade off i think you get with the from the nebulous nature of things you know when you're building something physical you're limited one to one how much can one person craft with their hands in an hour in a day with the software you you gain economies of scale by I built a thing that I can then hand to others that they can use and then I can come back and modify it to do more things and allow more people to do and, and it just it compounds very very quickly and for a product that's as hyper focused as Twitter because it's it's just a messaging platform it's as a product concept it's, it's I stupidly could be, are you, simple are you gonna wait are you gonna say it say the line Bart I could build that in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> You can build, and there, there, there is truth in that, in the sense that the the core functionality of what it is and what it does, you could build in a weekend. You could not build the business in a weekend. You know that's the you know the the classic overnight success myth is what you're you're getting out there, and you know I agree with you that that is that that is nonsense. But the core programmatic concept of what Twitter is is really simple, is really tight, and you can build it in a weekend. Well, and, and so uh, you don't need. My point is, you don't need a whole you don't need a 7,500 person company to manage that kind of a hyper-focused product. Okay. All right. So I feel like we might want, hold the bell, hold okay. the bell. I was, I don't about, know I was I just getting it ready. I was getting my, I was, I pulled out the hammer. I was getting ready to building, hit it. building a thing, right? And let's just, let's make this concrete. Let's take away all of the drama and everything. Let's just talk about Twitter. Itself. Let's just try. Okay. That's where I wanted to go when I, when I rang the let's sidebar. Just, let's talk about Twitter itself, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, so we're not going to talk in abstract. We're going to, we're going to do an alternate history, an alternate timeline where we're building Twitter, right? Okay. Um, it was originally, it had a different name. I forgot what the original name oh, for it was, but yes. it was a different type of service. It was built on Rails, actually. It was a Rails Rails monolith. Uh, and then they pivoted to the microblogging thing uh, and they they rebranded Twitter, right? This is 2000, uh, I don't even quite remember, six, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Um, and so maybe six. Uh, my point is, it, it's it's one thing to build a product as a monorepo that does what Twitter does, minus the business side of it, right? Let's just, let's just take that out of the equation because I think it's unnecessary complexity. And to do that in a weekend, right? A quote, in a weekend, right? We're being a little facetious there. Um, that would scale to 100 people. To build that that scales to like, I don't know, 800 million active mm-hmm. users or whatever the number is, I, I do think you may, and, and maybe you're just, Maybe you're talking at a different level of abstraction than I am, but but it it does actually take meaningful effort and bandwidth on a continued basis to reach and sustain that level of traffic. Traffic. Yeah. I mean, to think about think about the number of services that they have deployed 
just to manage their footprint. Think about the number of staff they have to deploy to keep the data centers running, to keep the network ops running, to keep the security operations running, to keep all the, the content moderation, all of this stuff to scale to that size. And then to be able to handle like a 50% traffic surge because the World Cup is going on, like it, it does, if you built you know, if you were galaxy brained, you know, if your if your big brain was so big that it wraps around the back of you and you're sitting on it as your chair, then and you built everything perfectly, back to our first conversation about building things perfectly, and you build it perfectly and all automated and flawless and the right way, all up front, all at once, then it obviously requires less effort. Right. But a real application that was built by real people under real constraints of a real business venture, you know, PE backed or not. Um, I think you may be underestimating the amount of effort it takes just for the thing not to implode. Gotcha. OK, I see what you're saying. So I'm, I'm actually allowing for all of that. OK, what I'm okay. Su- what I'm suggesting is that it is, is exactly what I said. Running that thing. Even with those economies of scale and those challenges of scale baked mm-hmm. into the into the equation, even with that taken into account, you don't need seventy five hundred people to run this thing. You you just you just don't. It's it's not it 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 was. There there is you you do need folks to cover all of those things. Like those are those are real things that you need to account for. But they are tasks and assignments just like everything else inside of this, this, any other standard web application you want. You know, Twitter is, Twitter is everyone's, you know, billion dollar garage idea. And it's just, it's just a lot bigger. And as you add new pieces, you have to have staff and knowledge to handle those, those new pieces. So, you know, tracking, you know, handling the traffic and, you know, what about spam? And, you know, those, like you need yeah. to put those, those systems, those tools, those infrastructures in place. But once you do, you're done. Like you put that thing in place. I've got a thing. I've got a system. I've got a team that's managing it. I'm done. Okay. Next problem. If you, if you, uh, pro- yeah, to, to build it and put it in place, but then who manages it? Well, who runs I'm, it? I'm, I'm, yeah. And, 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 and manage it. I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm at a macro. I'm at a, probably at a higher macro level than you're thinking here. So let me let me put this in more. So let, let's 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 cut this let's cut this another way. Okay. You think seventy five hundred people is way too many to build and manage Twitter? Right. I'm not taking a position on this because I don't know. But okay. you're saying seventy five hundred is way too many. What's the right number then? I is I it two thousand and fourteen? Is it three thousand nine hundred and fifty one? <laughs> like you need if you're making the claim. Yeah, I'm yeah, being yeah. a little you know you know whatever. But like if you're making the claim that seventy five hundred is it's not possible. It's too much. What's the right number? So then? so let's so before I go there, let me just recap that. This was a sidebar, and I'm just interested in how they have been slashing, and they are still alive, and mm-hmm. I'm curious to see where it goes. Okay, so just yeah. to recap, that's where we were at. I, this is not something mm-hmm. I, I planned at all. Mm-hmm. At, from the outside looking in, knowing what I know about managing dev teams, managing web applications, and how economies of scale work and things like that, I think that this team, this is more of a prediction more than anything. I, I predict that they probably normalize out somewhere around 2,500 to 3,000 people. I think that's probably the sweet spot that covers all the things that, that the company needs to do. And I think that that's probably, so, so what you'll see, so what I'm saying is Twitter in- I think that's, I think that's a skeleton crew. I think that you is think an it's a skeleton. Absolute, okay. I think that is I think that that may not even be enough. I think that is that is skeleton crew light. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think because I think you're gonna need I think you're gonna need 2,000, 2,500 technologists alone. I think it really does. It really is going to take I, I will I will eat my hat if and, and any any of our listeners that know anything about the internals of Twitter, uh, because you've been there or you've seen it or you followed yeah, any of you. the blog posts or anything, please reach out. Um I would be shocked if they have less than uh, 150 different active services in production, 
right? Oh, and each, yeah. each of those yeah. services is going to take a team, right? And yeah, so but that could be a team of, of those, like, depending on the size, that could be a team of three. It could be a team of two. No, yeah, I think I think it's I think you're probably teams of three to five, right? Okay. So just on those numbers alone, you're up over fifteen hundred, right? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, and then you and that's and that's. Those are the those are the software teams building the damn stuff, right? You mm-hmm. need you need the infrastructure, network, security, and all that to back it, and mm-hmm. um, and everything else that goes along with it. So, by my math, you're looking at an engineering organization, right? People that report to the CTO of minimally two thousand. That's my guess, right? With some overhead and management and so forth. And so then to think that all of the corporate stuff is done by another five hundred people, maybe. But again, I think I think I don't think you're. I don't think it's a pure fantasy what you're saying about 2,500, but that would be a skeleton crew in, in yeah, my and I don't, I don't think it is. I don't. That would be super light. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it is a skeleton crew. I think that that is realistically, you, you offered a good example there, 150 services. We averaged it at about three members per team. Some will be smaller, some would be bigger. Now, there are probably you know people listening to this going, three at a company of Twitter size. Why the hell would any team have three people? Exactly. Any of these web applications, you take the the massive and the massiveness, the nameness, the the billions of dollarness out of the equation. I've got a service. I've got three people managing it. That's pretty normal. It's pretty average. And so we're adding more services. Just because the company's getting bigger doesn't mean all these individual teams need to get bigger. The, the you know the service just needs to stay up and keep running. And so I like that. One hundred and fifty, one hundred fifty services, three people. That's you know four hundred and fifty. You toss another, I don't know, even 250 people for, for like network capacity. I mean, 250 is help 300 people, like 300 people in a network. You, know. you, underest, you underestimate how much it takes to build out these networks and data centers. You're talking, you're talking physical infrastructure. You're talking a lot of bare metal management, middle, middle tiers, internal services, right? These, I'm talking about a, a hundred or 200 services just to run twitter.com, right? Let mm-hmm. alone the internal stuff. Yeah, I. But I've see. I we will know. see. We, yeah, this is I mean, this is the nice thing, though. Everybody's being so public about it that we'll we'll be able to come back to this as a prediction. Uh, yeah, and figure yeah. out. But you know, what? I'm going to retroactively ring the bell since we're clearly disagreeing. Yeah, we are. And that's and that's fine. I I, I think that this is way. Um, I I think that this is reasonable. I I think where he and and I like where his head's at. So we're going to see where where it goes. But um, but the point still stands. The point that none of in my mind almost none of this matters. How does how does Google get away with laying off twenty five thousand people? We're not talking about it, right? Oh, okay. So you you this is um, entirely besides. So this is now now for now for Twitter for Twitter it's been like a fifty percent reduction or or more than that at this point because it was another ten percent the other day. Um, But generally speaking, why are we talking about Twitter? Well, because it's the place where people go to talk about talking about talking, and it's because Musk bought it, and that was a whole sideshow, right? It's not because it's not because the business is more valuable than any of its. You know, right. quote unquote colleagues up there and in, in at the top of the valley, your your Google, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, whatever. Um, it's it, not because market value is any better. It's not because it has a better like it's none of those reasons. And so it is literally just drama for its own sake, as far as I can tell. Yeah, right? no, that's I, the only I, reason that we're hyper focusing on on that. One. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're talking completely. Yeah, the reason that it's in the news is because it's Elon. Um, because of the rationale under which he bought it, um, and the fact that you know he he made a you know very overt political statement that frankly a lot of the media who are now reporting on him you know they disagree with him on and so you know they want well they, and because it's happening in the place that people talk about talking and there's about a, talking <laughs> yes so, I, I will keep saying that because yeah. I don't think it can be understated right there's there's this whole self sustaining conversation. <laughs> on Twitter about Twitter. It's just, it's, I, I right. wonder, I wonder what their organic, like if you, if you knew, like if you were able to know this, like what, like remove all of the, all of the automated, all, all of the automated activity on Twitter and all of the duplicate accounts, right? Get down to actual active people. Yeah. And then if you were able to look at the ratio of people who two years ago were talking about Twitter on Twitter to now, and compare that as a ratio of yeah. their overall yeah. service traffic. 
I got to imagine that there's a whole lot more of, of just oh, that this has definitely ramped. Yes. You know? Yes, that has <laughs> definitely ramped in the intervening time. Absolutely. Absolutely that it, that it did that, for sure. I, it's just... I'll go back where I started. It's just really interesting to watch. It's just really cool to see a company that yeah. had a, a crap ton of people get slashed to nothing, still running, not saying it's perfect either, but still running. And it just so far, so far. And I just, as an engineer, I go, yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we can do a lot with, with a little, we are, if nothing else, efficient, as long as we don't worry about being too perfect all the time. <laughs> too much yeah, all the time. Yeah. We love efficiency. Uh, if you love efficiency, particularly if you have any insight into uh, Twitter's internal operations and staffing, we would love to hear from you. Um, uh, you can go ahead and mark that one as anonymous uh, if you need to. You can caveat. But normally, if you write into the show, we'd go ahead and read that on air. Um, or if you want to take a voice recorder on your phone and send that to us, we'd play that on air. Um, try to make you look like as much of a buffoon as possible in the process. We'd encourage that. Um, and you can send those to feedback at refactor.work. And if you're curious about the show notes, archives, backlog, uh, history of books uh, we've recommended and other things, you can find that at the main site, refactor.work. Wherever podcasts are found, you can download us, Refactor. Uh, you can find more Frank online at hotcoles.com and more of myself at tonkinson.com, provided my TLS cert is not expired for the redirect. <laughs> and this has been episode number 98, recorded February 28th. Happy birthday to any leap year babies. 2023. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, buddy. Catch you later.